0: Hey everybody and welcome to Declutter Me, a podcast about organizing and decluttering your life and hello to your host Shalina. How are you doing? I'm doing good today. So what do we have for our listeners?
1: Today uh, we're sharing our chat with Dr. Saliha Afridi who is the co-founder of Lighthouse Arabia, the leading mental health and wellness clinic in the UAE providing psychological and psychiatric care.
0: And we'd like to let you know as well that this is uh, this, we're going to do, do this in two parts. So today we're airing the first part of Shalina's chat with Dr. Saliha.
1: Okay, so the lighthouse was founded nine years ago by Dr. Saliha Afridi and Dr. Tara Wine. They were already working in a previous clinic, but Dr. Saliha kept feeling like she wasn't doing enough at the time.
2: I really felt like a big part of me just was not being given expression and... Um, and I really listened to that voice inside of me that something's not right, you need to like go do something and, about this and so um, after doing some introspection and reflection, I realized that it was the part that actually was quite connected to the community
1: right. I love yeah. what
2: I do, I love my one-on-one clients, we do g- magic together, but I think being outside in the community is something that is just very, very important to me. Yeah, so I started interviewing in all sorts of places that might give me that sort of opportunity but there was always some sort of red tape or yellow tape or blue tape some tape where they said that you that it just wasn't going to happen in the way i wanted it to happen and so um actually it was one man that i met at a personal dinner party and he said uh, he wanted to know about grief And I said, okay, well, it's not really a dinner party conversation, but it's not very light hearted. But um, we spoke a little bit about grief and death and bereavement and mourning. And and then we decided to meet up outside of that. And I found myself really coming to life when Mm -hmm. I was doing that work. We spent about seven hours within the next couple of weeks talking about this topic. And then he said, this is great. Now I want you to go and tell this other group of people that have all experienced a loss. Right. And then I'll tell you why. Okay. I spoke to them about the same things, grief, death, dying. Um, and, you know, it was just a very, very emotional uh, session. Yep. And a lot of these people had experienced a death maybe years ago. And this particular man who had asked me to do this, he had actually, um, his relationship, his partner, his his fiancé, I think, um, that relationship had actually dissolved as a result of him um, not being able to support her as she experienced the death of her mother.
1: Um, So he was just kind
2: of like, okay, come on, let's get on with it. And so he said, I couldn't save my relationship. So there were two deaths that happened Mm. as a result of that. And then he said, so now I want you to go out and do this for the rest of the community because this is how the six people don't know what to do with mental health. What can you do for the rest? And eventually, after doing a lot of research, flying to the U.S., learning about grief... Um, I came back and I gave them these opportunities where I said I could continue to work in the clinic that I was working in, but cost-effective, not so much. Hospitals, again, cost-effective, not so much. Or what I could do is I could take the money that they were going to give me, Mm -hmm. I would ask them to give me three years up front, to maybe take a chance on me. They didn't really know me very well, but I said, but I would start a private practice. And in that private practice we would have grief services for as long as the private practice was around. Right. We would not charge the community. We would do free grief consults, which is a one hour session with anyone who's experienced a loss right. to teach them how to go through the grief yeah. process. Yeah. We would have support groups for children, adults, women, uh, people who've survived those who have committed suicide, miscarriages. They love this idea because they're like, okay, well, we, don't have to, we only have to pay, make a three year investment for almost like a whatever lifetime return. Um, and that's where I got the seed money for The Lighthouse. Oh, that's
1: amazing.
2: Yeah, because I see that you have workshops, so you have... Well, those are support groups, right? Okay. and we have them twice a month, um, and they've been going on now for nine years since the day we wow. opened. I remember the first one we had it was one person, <laughs> and we still did it because yeah. it was just our commitment. And uh, now we have... Mul- I mean, they started offshooting into several different kinds of groups. Now we have a Motherless Daughters one... Wow. Um, general support group, people who've lost a child. So uh, we've sort of branched out as we saw the need get bigger. But yeah, we're the only one in the region, if I can say the Middle East and Asia, um, the only grief support group that is coming out of the U.S. Dougie Center model, which is considered the mothership of grief centers. Because I do have a lot of clients that
1: um, accumulate clutter because of grief. So they don't process the grief properly. And by the time they call me, it's a year later, or two years later. Um, And they've suffered for so long, don't know how to talk to anyone. And I think it's a cultural thing as well. You have the three months to grieve, or 40 days to grieve, and that's it. You you have to get on with life. And it's not that easy. Um, And so they start doing other things, like shopping, traveling and shopping as well. And then, and don't clear up their house because they don't know, they don't want to. They've got other things on their head, in their mind, and you feel it when you know. Once we finished the decluttering process, you feel that and see that weight going off them. But it's getting them to say, "Okay, that weight's gone. Now we need to sort out the mind, and that that's my you know. Is, there's only so much I can do. Before, you know, they have to do it themselves. I always say, "How do the clients come? When do they come? Do they come? straight away or does it take time yeah
2: there's there's people that have come the the minute they find out they make a phone call and then we have a one-on-one session with them um there are times when really they call us in a state of crisis and then there are people that come five years later it just depends on how that person processes their grief how much space they have how much um emotional capacity they have at that time as well as resilience because um you don't want to go deep sea diving when you can't you know you don't have any space in your life for like even a breath of air so this you really have to build a muscle sometimes internally to approach something like this
1: and another thing that comes up with uh, when i do is divorce so you know that's another mental health issue that arises as well how do you you know what about when they come to see you and when do they come to see you as well? Because I find as some of them, they do it when they're moving out of the house. So the wives will call me and say, can you help? Because I can't handle, I've had to deal with this divorce. I'm leaving the house or moving. Can you organize everything?
2: Yeah, that really just depends on where they're at. I think um, a lot of times what I have noticed that when people are in crisis, they are just getting through it. They're in this fight or flight mode. They don't have time to sit back and process what's happening. Mm -hmm. So they might come to you and say, I don't even know what's in here, just get rid of it or help me source through it. But only when that fight and flight mode has sort of come down and they've moved into their new house and they've settled down, that's when they might actually sort of crash emotionally. And that might take six months for people. It might take um, a year for some people. Right. Yeah. So it just depends on how the person processes emotions yeah. and how resilient they are. The longer the fight and flight can hold on, because there are some people that are just tough.
1: They're
2: going to tough it out and they just tough it out. And then eventually they might have some sort of thing happen, maybe in a future relationship. Yeah. They might start you know three years later they might be in another relationship and that's when they might come to us and say whoa i just realized i got baggage yeah literally yeah like emotional baggage and probably other kind of baggage too yeah um but yeah that's when we sort through their emotional baggage then
1: yeah and how so how do you deal with it is that more one-to-one thing or do you have like a group thing yeah that's usually
2: one-to-one we don't have any uh groups for divorce as of yet we, the only groups that we have are for depression right. and just how do you manage coping skills and anxiety? How do you manage coping skills? We don't have any process groups as of yet right. for such things. The things, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, I suppose that is a very personal thing yeah. as well and each person has their own thing. And
2: well, there's... in the US and, you know, in other parts of the world, they do have such things. But in Dubai, there's still... Like, you know, there's like one degree of separation. If we sit here for maybe two more minutes, we probably will know someone who knows someone. And then you don't feel safe to talk about some of your stuff. So that's why people prefer one-to-one. One
1: One of the things she brought up as well is how we're at a hyperactive age and it's coming with various cons, including people self-diagnosing, especially on Google, which can be very dangerous.
2: I've definitely seen that there's more awareness uh, there's definitely a lot of um I don't know what the word is. The word is flying out of my head, but the word uh, would be like misinformation right, about yeah. this stuff because people are just going to Dr. Google and yeah. everyone has like three personality disorders and God knows how many mood disorders and that's what they figured out online. There's a lot of people like catastrophizing and freaking out because they think they have borderline personality, yeah. which is like a really tough diagnosis. Like, Or they think they're bipolar because they're moody, you know, so just information in the wrong hands can sometimes be even more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, it's very often more more dangerous. So yes, there's definitely more information. There's more awareness. Uh, but I actually think um, that, we've reached a breaking point. I actually don't think that all of a sudden there's less stigma. And so look, now everyone is calling us and everyone wants to see us. I think the stigma is very much there. It's just that people can't take it anymore. And they're drowning at this point. And so there was a buildup that led to to this place. And I can say that this year, since September, the lighthouse has never been bigger and it's never been busier than it has and we cannot hire people fast enough we're doing all sorts of low-cost group initiatives just as like a holding pattern and teaching people skills because until we get to see you one-on-one which may not be for a while like let's give you something so you are not drowning out there so we're giving them some skills but I've never seen it this bad and that could be one there's more awareness two there's a lot of information sort of catastrophic thinking and then three yeah breaking point Because we've consumed it all. We've consumed our well-being. And I remember one time I went to a Chinese doctor and I was like, oh, I'm fine and I'm great. And this was before I burned out. And I was like, no, no, this is good. I'll sleep when I'm dead, kind of thinking. And she said, You're borrowing from the future. And when you get to the future, there will be nothing there. And I eventually got to that future where I had consumed. All the energy and the mental space and the money and the environment and we're gonna to get to a place where we don't have anything left yeah, yeah. and we'll have a lot of stuff but we'll be like buried under that yeah. stuff so I was a bit
0: surprised that she thought this that we're not necessarily past the stigma but that things have actually just gone out of out of hand and that's why we're forced to act
1: yeah but I see this with my clients as well as there's more awareness about decluttering but you know, they've accumulated it for so many years that now it's got to that crunch point that they have to finally deal with it. And it's the same with the mental health issue due to the consumerism from the 80s moving upwards, you know, and having more stuff and having the digital life, you know, et cetera. It's all been building up and brewing and brewing and brewing. And now we're at that tipping point in 2020.
0: One of the things that strikes me while I'm listening to this is the awareness aspect of it. So I think... As we've, as we've talked about as well, you know most people are still stuck between the stigma of admitting that they have a problem and then perhaps not understanding the kind of problem they
1: have. Yes, the issues manifest themselves through clutter or hoarding. So while we might solve the symptoms, it takes a bit of work to then solve the underlying issue. Um, Dr. Sliha told us about the mental health first aid program they're running to try and help demystify some of the myths around mental health. So think of it like physical first aid as well. It's about training people to help others with identifying mental health issues and then pointing them in the right direction for help.
2: So we have mental health first aid. We we are the only clinic licensed in the UAE, um, actually possibly the region at this point, um, that actually brought this Uh, the international program from Australia, which is in 23 countries, um, heavy funding from the UK and the US government within their, you know, uh, um, countries to train people in mental health first aid. And mental health first aid is similar to physical health first aid, however, you can do it on yourself as well with mental health first aid. And it's a 12-hour course, there's one that is 14 hours, And then there's one that is five hours. So the 12-hour course is an adult to adult mental health first aid, where we take you through the major diagnoses like depression, anxiety, suicidality, uh, substance abuse, psychosis, etc. And we take you through all of that. We do role plays. That if you see something like this, what would you do? We demystify a lot of things. Uh, We uh, people are oh my god, I didn't realize I was. You know anxious my whole life and i can now do something about it so we are building awareness on that front so my, that might have had something to do with some of this uptake as well um, so one is adult to adult one is adult to adolescent and one one is adolescent to adolescent so they're not going to dr google and self-diagnosing right. and misdiagnosing so we've done a lot actually we had our first one in bahrain this weekend um, where people flew in and we trained people in mhfa So that's one thing that we're doing on the mental health awareness front. But we have spent thousands of hours within schools and in companies, within government organizations, uh, uh, community centers, even community gatherings, where we talk about mental health, wellness, uh, well-being, and parenting. I believe that if we can talk to our parents, that we can at least protect that generation that is coming up. Uh, one out of six, I, although I bet that number is a lot higher in Dubai, one out of 16 um, kids, eight to 18, is struggling with some sort of mental health issue. And 50% of those will come by by the age of four, 14. For them, consumerism is just a thing. This is just what you do. You don't, there's no relationship to anything because everything has been so devalued by social media Um, and that's the world, and this is their identity, this is who they are, this is how they feel they exist, and so the whole cyberbullying, or or the whole bullying thing that happened, I actually don't, don't want to blame the girl or shame the girl. I know that I also had been bullied when I was younger, but it doesn't help anyone when we just ostracize one person and say she's wrong. It's the whole community that is dropping the ball here, because if we are not focused on kindness and generosity if we're not doing these kinds of things which is what we do when we go out and we do these talks they're all usually 60 to 90 minutes long everyone that works at the lighthouse has to make a commitment that they will be doing these kinds of things free of charge for the community we've done thousands of them up and up to this point Um, a lot of times people think that when you're a psychologist you must have it all together and it's like yeah no (laughs) we suffer and we struggle and we go out and buy things just to make ourselves feel better. And then we feel like really bad because we shouldn't have done that. And so there's all kinds of, we are human. And and so I think wanting to bring that onto social media was also one of my agendas. I'm a mother of four children. And let me tell you all the ways that I mess up every single day and hope that tomorrow will be a better day. And it's just a constant struggle. Uh, and, you know, my own decluttering journey, and I remember that there are times where I go through these periods where I want to just go out and just throw everything out. Mm. I just, I feel overwhelmed by my life and I just want to take everything and chuck it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then I, one time I was doing this and I noticed that this, um, this feeling, I'm like, hmm, this is an interesting feeling that I haven't actually made contact with before and there was so much shame
1: right okay
2: and i don't think people people think about clutter and anxiety yeah but people do not think about clutter and shame
1: so what was your shame where my
2: shame was you didn't think before you bought this thing oh wow. you didn't think did you need this you didn't think that oh maybe i should go home and check if i have 17 pairs of blue sh- or you know blue pants or black shoes yeah. or whatever like you didn't do that you yeah. just were impulsive you didn't uh, think through this you wasted money then it hung in your closet because it's just not something you gravitated mm. towards or it was just an impulsive buy mm-hmm. and so there was so much shame so then i had to sit through and like go through the process of like just forgive yourself and like what is the lesson here and how can you make sure you don't do that again? So yeah. there was a lot of like self-compassion that I had to exercise, but I can tell you that there was not anxiety. I was not holding on to that stuff
1: right. okay. because I
2: was anxious. I was holding on to that stuff because I felt guilty, and under that guilt laid, a an iceberg of shame that I just didn't want to deal with.
1: Wow, that that's that's a big thing though, because as you know, as you said, and as I say to, you're human we all have our moments i i buy things i will get slightly shamed by a shrug i do buy <laughs> things but yeah you're human things happen and a lot of
2: us have actually been raised by parents who valued the yes. stuff they had yeah. they had two bags and then they wore those bags yes. and then yeah. when they could no longer wear th- and actually they kept them so neatly that they could i could still wear those bags like they took care of their things yes. and then this is the this is my DNA. yeah And so when I'm not doing that there's shame there. Yeah. Like you have no regard for money, you have no regard for things, you have no regard, no regard. Whew. That's why I was like I'll declutter later because I don't want to actually deal with yeah. the shame. But so that, yeah. that's a huge one actually.
0: But
1: that's a generation thing as well. I mean yeah, our our parents are around yeah. most probably the same age and it yeah I don't tell my parents when I buy things. Because mm-hmm. I, I know they will shame me yeah. all the way back in the UK. Exactly. And it shouldn't what be What did like you them- need this
2: for? You didn't need this. Save yeah. it for yourself. Save it for retirement. Like, oh so yeah. I and I it's still something. I cannot say that I'm beyond it and I'm past it. There's still so many things that I could probably not have in my home and I could probably not be buying. But outside clutter is inside baggage. Exactly.
1: And it affects your gut as well. But then, what did you do? You said that you didn't declutter that time because you were dealing with the shame. When it's did too you? too much? But
2: then I've done it, right. and then I do it again, and then I do it again, and then I do it again, and so I will. I'm constantly there's one thing I cannot, and I just I don't care what declutter person comes and tells me to is like get rid of your books. I'm not gonna do it. Leave oh, me so to my weird. books. Yeah, <laughs> me and my books have have we have a relationship, so I can't, and my daughter can't, and we really just <laughs> get rid of everything. Here's my diamond, take it, but. I cannot get rid of my books like i really feel i'm getting it's like a photograph for yeah me. it's like a time for me um i can get rid of photographs no problem but i cannot get <laughs> rid of my books
1: books it's, it's, yeah books are an issue with lots of my clients i i i'm a book person i love books growing up i worked for a book club company but yeah i will get like i have thousand thousand that, books so like it's
2: me. actually like a scrap book for me here of like my memories but maybe maybe one day maybe one day but I've done a lot and I and I was actually just thinking because I was thinking about this um, talk that we were going to have today and I was thinking that you know there's so much stuff in my closet that I need to get rid of I just need to get rid of it really. and then I thought you know next time I think one way people can avoid buying more things is to spend one hour before they go out through going through their closet yeah because once they're reminded about all the stuff they have, nope, you're not going to buy anymore because it's overwhelming. And you're like, oh my God, what was I thinking? So you, you're less likely to be all excited about buying things. So this is going to be another thing that I'm going to do now.
0: Okay, so that's all we have for you for this week. As we mentioned already, we'll be airing a second part of this chat with Dr. Cindy next week.
1: Yeah, and next week, it'll be all about social media and mental addiction around it. So stay tuned for that.
0: As always, you can find all of our episodes for free in your favorite podcast players. It's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Gami, um, and anywhere else you might be listening, as well as on the website, theclutterme.com slash podcast.